afternoon. I'm not here to talk about eggs, Madam Deputy Speaker. And I will not rest until the British apple is back at the top of the tree. That's nonsense. Movement, uh, or, or moment if you like, that's nonsense. My constituents would accept inspectors that see probably more than one flag appearing. That's nonsense. A beautiful new blue, 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 beautiful new blue, 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 that's nonsense. I was considered to be skilled, to be high management. That's nonsense. Beautiful new blue passport. That's nonsense. I want to talk about milk. Hi, welcome back to another episode of Who Works For You. I'm Ewan. And I'm Alex. And we're here once again to talk about another three members of Parliament in our bid to inform you about the people who run our country. But first, do you want to talk a little bit about last week's updates? Uh, sure, yeah. So, Theo Clark, Kevin Foster, not had much to say for themselves. But uh, Carla Lockhart has been in the news, as she's been claiming that 2019's vote to change Northern Ireland's laws regarding abortion goes against the devolution agreement and should therefore be ignored. Maybe not the bill I would have pushed this issue on. Of course. Well, why don't we start talking about this week's MPs then, starting with Julie Marson. Uh, she's a Conservative MP for the area of Hertford and Stortford. Which is just outside of London. She was elected in 2019, and as Alex was saying, it's just outside London, so that makes her one of the lesser talked about new MPs, in that she didn't help break the red wall. Yes, Hertford and Stortford is quite a Tory constituency. Uh, it's an area where a lot of uh, rich bankers who commute into London live. So they have been Tory since uh, the constituency's creation in 1983. Uh, never much contest there. Now, normally we have when we talk about the new MPs, we suggest there's not much to say about them. But she's been surprisingly active in her one year in office. Yes, she's got lots done. Yeah, she's been calling for a whole number of proposals, you know. Uh, most notably for banning wet markets. Or as we call them in the UK, butchers. Uh, banning LGBT plus conversion, conversion therapy. Which is good. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but first to show her support for the specific issue of raising literacy in the nation's children. And how are we going to do that? Oh, you've just got to turn on the subtitles on your TV. Sorry, what? Yeah, turn on your TV subtitles. And this is uh, in place of education, uh, schooling, maybe teaching our children how to, how to read? Well, like, as, as we've already, as the uh, schools haven't been in, they haven't been doing any teaching, so, you know. That is true. I guess we don't even need Zoom school when we can just have the TV on. Exactly, yeah. Great. It's just one more of those classic examples of having the television be another parent. Would you like to know something else that she's done to help children? Oh, please, do inform. She's, she voted against uh, extending free school meals in England until Easter 2021. <sighs> <laughs> all you need is pop pop them in front of the tv get them a tv dinner turn on the subtitles that's school now oh. very glad <laughs> to be not in school at the, t at the minute i know it must be awful i feel so bad for those children so uh there's some interesting stuff to talk about uh for her um climate record i believe well yeah i mean she is quoted as saying uh, when examining the global fight back to the climate emergency, although progress has been made, 
We have too often picked the low-hanging fruit at the expense of more difficult or more impactful decisions being taken later. Yeah, I'd love to give you a couple examples of some of the bills that she's voted on that are sort of to do with that issue. Yeah, go on. So um, so the first was a, a call on the government to develop and implement a plan to eliminate the substantial majority of transport emissions by 2030. So I think this seems pretty realistic. You know, 2030 is, is a good 10 years and it's we're just talking about transport. So, you know, bus, rail, air, um, these are areas where there's a lot of government control already, and there's already you know a lot of effort, especially in trains. I mean, electric trains are already commonplace in most of the country. There's lots of electric buses. It seems pretty realistic. It makes a lot of sense. Absolutely, yeah. How did she vote? So she actually voted against that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there was another bill. Um, so this one voted was a, about requiring a climate and nature emergency impact statement as part of any proposal for financial assistance. Um, under a United Kingdom Internal Market Act. So that's basically just saying, you know, if you're going to look for money from the government to help out your company or your organization, you have to say why what you're doing is going to, or like that you have in some way examined how your uh, work is going to impact the environment. Okay, that sounds, that sounds pretty reasonable. Yeah, she also voted against that one. Um, those are the only two opportunities that she's had to vote on any climate-related uh, bills in Parliament. So as you can see, um, she definitely agrees that they, uh, we've too often picked the low-hanging fruit at the expense of more difficult but impactful decisions. And I guess what we didn't realize is that she, she was actually celebrating that. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, uh, I need to find, I've got a note. We've got a note on this, and I don't remember what this was about. <laughs> the delicate sensibilities? Yeah. I don't remember where that is either. Ah, yes, here it is. Demands uh, Senior Labour MP Chris Bryant was seen mouthing the words fuck off ah yes uh, at the speaker of the house after a comment you know not not saying the words mm-hmm. you know she's then demanded that he quit over this you know saying that it doesn't it's uh his behavior leaves a very big question mark which really, you know, in, when we've got so much more in, like, uh, important matters to be discussing. I think she should just fuck off. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, simple as that. Okay, why don't we move on to our second MP of the episode. Absolutely. Uh, Janet Davey, our second Labour politician, yeah, in fact. <laughs> she was in fact elected in a by-election. She's not quite a uh, the one-year uh, elected official that we we normally see. She's actually got two years on her because she was elected wow. by-election in twenty eighteen. That's excellent, and she, so she's actually held a position under Keith Starmer. Um, she's the shadow minister for faiths, women, and equalities. Um, well, her parents she was. were. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. She was actually removed from that position. Yeah, she resigned in December after suggesting that registrars, who are the government officials in charge of providing marriage licenses, shouldn't lose their jobs if they reject applications on their own religious grounds. So essentially saying that uh, government officials should ignore the law when it pertains to equality um, if they feel that they would prefer the law to be less equal. 
which I really think is a very interesting uh, position to take. For women inequalities? Yeah. Well, I mean, Keith, Keith must have been very forensic when he was looking into her background and her political opinions, uh, putting her into that position. You, you would have thought so, right? I mean, uh, mm-hmm. it's what he's known for. It's interesting. There's a little anecdote in her background where it says that she was brought up on a council estate where, as a child, racists pelted her windows with eggs three nights in a row. Now, that sounds terrible, I have to say. Um, she was the, the child of Windrush migrants from Guyana and, and Jamaica, um, and I'm not at all surprised that that kind of racism was ongoing. But I have to say there's something about pelted her windows with eggs three nights in a row that just apropos of no other context seems so bizarre. Yeah, like, I mean, again, it absolutely follows with what we know of Britain. Oh, I'm certainly not denying it. I think there's just something funny about the three nights in a row. And even in the article that that's from, there's no further context. So I'm just wondering what it was about those three nights. And she's the child of Windrush migrants, a group that are still being marginalised to this day. She and her family have suffered abuse personally. She'd have thought surely that would have informed her against being accepting of discrimination like this. You do have to wonder when Keir was choosing who should be the Shadow Minister for Faiths, Women and Equalities, whether he looked much past the surface level of, of uh, Janet Davies' identity uh, and into her actual political opinions. Because I certainly don't think that her political opinions have been hidden. Um, the fact that she had she had to be, uh, you know, resigned from her position uh, just eight months after being given it certainly seems to think seems to suggest that she was a poor choice in the first place. She also implied that she was anti-abortion. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the same uh, speech, actually. So certainly for the Labour Party to choose her as uh, being in charge of equality seems counterproductive. It's just so... It's exactly what we expect from Labour at this point, you know. It's not like we've had any idea of doing or being better or anything, you know. When even the Tory party at this point has conceded that a woman's right to abortion is... uh, basically a, a given in modern society, it makes a lot of sense for the Labour Party to oppose that, uh, as they should always be opposing the government um, by choosing someone who believes the opposite, even when that's more regressive. Absolutely. It, it's, oppos- it's opposition for opposition's sake. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, Kier has come... He's, he's very much in favour of that. Kier loves to oppose for opposition's sake. I think we should move on to the second of our... Labour MPs today. Another frontbencher, Annalise Dodds. Frontbencher for for Sir Keith, uh, to be clear. Yeah. So Annalise Dodds is actually the shadow chancellor of the Exchequer, making her the biggest politician that we've had on this podcast to date. Interestingly, Annalise Dodds is actually a continuity MP who was involved in John McDonnell's uh, chancellor of the Exchequer office, and then was uh, upgraded or promoted to the position itself under Keir Starmer. So there's not a lot of those people, but, you know, fair, fair play to her. Oh, so she's actually got some experience with the role. Mm-hmm. Actually, on that note, she's, uh, ha- she has a lot of experience if you uh, take academic experience into account. Um, Annalise Dodds has a PhD um, 
in government from, from the London School of Economics, which follows her master's degree in social policy. Um, and she did her postdoctoral fellowship at the LSE. Um, she also lectured in public policy at King's College London and uh, lectured in was a senior lecturer in public policy at Ashton University before becoming an MP. So she's got books written on public policy. She's lectured on it. Academically, she has tons of qualifications. Now, obviously, I don't think that academic qualifications come close to being the only thing that we should look for in MPs. Um, you know, we, we want representation that actually represents people. But I do think it's interesting that we are nine MPs in, and this is the first person we've seen who has anything close to relevant past experience um, in, in terms of being in government. Yes, she has the practical experience of having been in government for a while now. And she has the background experience that makes her suitable for the role that she's been given, which we can't always say. I want to say what I mean by experience there to expand a little bit. Um, because I really don't want anyone to get the impression that what I'm saying is every MP should have a PhD, um, especially from the London School of Economics, because then we're really narrowing our uh, sources of, of education. But um, for example, I, I supported a candidate uh, in my constituency here uh, in the last election who was previously a worker at a food bank, and they unfortunately did lose. But that also, I think, is, is an example of experience that's really relevant, right, that you don't often see in, in Parliament, because there's someone who has been right at the front lines of one of the biggest issues um, facing people in, in the country today, right, is access to food banks, is access to food and food inequality. Um, that is extremely important experience. Yeah, practical experience helps ground people's responses in reality and connect them to the issues that they're dealing with in incredibly important ways. What, what we've seen so far is um, investment bankers and lawyers and other, uh, oh, someone who had a magazine about Russian, Russian contemporary art. Yeah. So none of those things are particularly relevant to what I would sort of think of as like the biggest issues. And at the very least, in Annalise Dodds, we have someone who has sort of studied policy, um, and it brings something to the table, just just something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, she can bring all she wants to the table. She's, uh, she's not going to compare to the big man himself. The man, the myth, the legend. Yes, of course. I don't think there's really enough. I don't think there's anything that can be said that properly encompasses the quality of the work that he did as Shadow uh, Chancellor. But at least we can say that Annalise Dodds did manage to bask in, in the light of the only good Shadow Chancellor this country's ever seen. <laughs> yes. And to bring, to wrap things a little bit back around, uh, she does also have a very positive uh, uh, history with climate change as well. Mm-hmm. And this time, it's not just words. <laughs> yeah, she's uh, called for measures including the banning of domestic flights. Uh, she's uh, and she's you know she's kept to that uh, agenda of voting in that way, even when it's put her against her against the rest of the party. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fairly radical position in in today's parliament, but honestly, quite quite a, a rational one. You know, in a country with such great 
ground transport links in a country that's so small, it's actually pretty easy to see banning uh, domestic flights as, as a realistic policy position. And so I do think it, it's worth saying that, you know, she is right here and it's good that she's standing up for that belief. I think one interesting thing more broadly to invest, to discuss when it comes to Annalise Dodds is the contrast and how much coverage there's been. Um, I saw an article from the Daily Mail where they were criticizing her and saying how, you know, most Brits don't know who she is, um, which is an interesting thing for the media to report on, because basically they're saying, we haven't told you who she is. I mean, where else would you be hearing about her? But it's interesting because there's a contrast between the, the no news of the uh, Keir Starmer uh, administration, so to speak, and the extreme criticism of, of Jeremy Corbyn's cabinet. And I guess I don't know which is actually better. You know, is it better to be known, um, albeit under heavy, heavy criticism from state apparatus and from the media? Or is it better to be, you know, an obscure politician who um, people don't really have one opinion or another about? Yeah, like it's a real like it. It's a question of safety, I think, because mm-hmm. uh, the the media for, especially the news media, uh, for all that having a state run news media isn't, it's like is relatively good in terms of a- accuracy. It does fundamentally uh, serve to support the government, mm-hmm. and it, the suggest the fact that we don't hear anything tells you everything you need to know about how safe the media feels the government is. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think, you know, the, the uh, powers that be felt at least some level of threat uh, when Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonnell and their set uh, were, were proposing things that would legitimately change the country for the better. Uh, and they felt the need to argue against those ideas in the media, which then gives those ideas a platform. Under Keir Starmer, Labour hasn't really had any ideas, and so that means that there's nothing to really argue against, let alone for. Um, and I do think that, you know, there's there's a good question about whether, had it not been for uh, Labour's policy of uh, providing free internet for everyone, the government would now be talking about providing internet access for people who need it during quarantine. Um, you know, they, they push these ideas into the mainstream so that people are thinking about them. And even if the only exposure you get is from people saying, this is really bad, um, you can think for yourself. And I do think that people are able to think for themselves. So one of the most entertaining things in the Corbyn years was uh, the media and Corbyn's opponents contorting themselves to criticize ideas that were obviously for the public good, like better access to buses, for example. I remember being one that the media then had to come up with ideas for how that didn't make sense. Um, and I think I'll miss that now. Yeah, I've, I've certainly missed it in the last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's all we've got time for in this recording. Thanks once again for listening, folks. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter at WhoWorksForYou. Uh, or you can email us at WhoWorksForYouPod at gmail.com. If you'd like to give us some more information about an MP we've covered, don't be afraid to let us know. Uh, look forward to next week where we've got a very big dinner with uh, Gary Sandwick, Virendra Sharma, and Daniel Zeichner. I'm looking forward to it. Cheers for now. Thanks. Bye-bye. Good afternoon. I'm not here to talk about eggs, Madam Deputy Speaker. And I will not rest.
until the British apple is back at the top of the tree. That's nonsense. Movement, uh, or, or moment if you like, that's nonsense. Um, My constituents would accept, expect to see probably more than one flag appearing. That's nonsense. Uh, beautiful new blue, 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 beautiful new blue, 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 blue. That's nonsense. I was considered to be skilled, to be high management. That's nonsense. Beautiful new blue passport. That's nonsense. I want to talk about milk.